Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative to this guy for wisdom. Well, folks, after a long day of entertaining audiences around the country on other people's radio shows, talking about the issues that plague America, the issues that you want my unique perspective and take on. Well, it's now time to do my own show, the Drew Allen Show podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Well, it's uh, International Transgender Day of Visibility. I don't know how many of you knew about that. I don't know if you made your dinner reservations like it's Valentine's Day to celebrate this momentous occasion. Or perhaps, like me, this is the first time you learned that this was actually a thing. International Transgender Day of Visibility. That was news for me. I gotta be honest. So we're supposed to celebrate, and I mean this compassionately, I really do, mental illness today. Now this was started back in 2009 by transgender activists, and it's... uh. It's, it's not meant to shine a light on the suicide rates amongst the transgender community. It's not meant to help people navigate their way towards feeling that they're in the wrong body and so on and so forth. It's not an opportunity to educate, inform, and help people who feel this way understand uh, you know, the, 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 the reasons that that exists where it stems from, and also to explain to them that it's an impossibility. If you're a biological man, you can't chop it off and somehow become a biological woman. You can't be born a man and then give birth to a child if you just decide that you feel like a woman. I mean, where is Alcoholics Day of Visibility, by the way? Or, or you know, a, a, a International uh, uh, Depression Day of Visibility, Bipolar Day of Visibility, what would you expect, by the way, if you had a depression day of visibility, bipolar day of visibility? Would it be to celebrate depression, celebrate bipolar nature? No, of course not. It would be an educational time to destigmatize it, but to let people know that they're not alone and that they can uh, overcome it. They can treat it. They can deal with it and come out on the other side. But of course, Transgender Day of Visibility is nothing of that sort. It's meant to celebrate people that are transgender. It's meant to encourage other people, if they're feeling uncomfortable in their body, with their body parts, to encourage them to chop it off or so on and so forth. And I don't mean to be crude, but this is such a significant issue right now. I'm going to talk about the Disney thing momentarily. I have an article out today. It's over at Human Events. It's called uh, the, uh, the Disney Lesson. It's over at Human Events. That's where it was published. That's Charlie Kirk and Jack Posobiec's uh, outfit over there, and I'm glad they, they featured it. But, uh, you know, we should be highlighting a need to help these people. I mean, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't stigmatize transgenderism, but uh, we should encourage people to seek help. We should alert them to the challenges they face and deal with this as a mental illness because it is. But instead, we're encouraging more transgenderism and that's the point. That's what Disney's about. That's what all of these, I'm sorry to say, perverted individuals in society are trying to do. You know, it's very interesting. If you go back and look historically at the, uh, the rate, for example, the percentages of any society that would have identified within the LGBTQ plus community, you know, it was a steady rate. I don't know, three and a half, four percent, maybe. Could have varied somewhere within there. 
But what we've seen in America since we've been encouraging it is a steady uptick, a percentage point uh, year after year, for example. And that's not normal. And I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I'm just saying, I mean, look, if you have a child out there, if you have children, do, 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 do you give birth to them and think to yourself, gosh, gee whiz, gee golly, how can I encourage my son or daughter to become gay? How can I encourage them to become transgender? Do you look for those signs at the age of four or five and seize the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? You feel like maybe you have questions about being a man if you're a young boy. Well, you know what? Maybe you want to transition. I'll get you puberty blockers. No, that's a sick pervert that does that. To tell you a personal story, I've talked to other people about, I've shared this personal story lately with people and they've said the same thing. So when I was a young kid, I don't remember this, of course, because I was very small and you depend upon your parents to help guide you, navigate you, teach you lessons in life, things that you don't understand as a child. You have to learn and someone has to teach you. Take your hand and help you become an adult. Give you the morals that they think are important, the principles that they think are important to navigate your way successfully through life, which is painful, which is difficult. And of course, parents always tell us what? I, you know, I, I remember saying this, I can't wait to get out of the house. I can't wait to be 18. I can't wait to be an adult. And my parents would say, my mother would say what? Drew, enjoy being a child. Enjoy not having all the responsibilities that come along with it. And she was right. I ignored it. I couldn't wait to grow up. And I understand why now. Bills, pressures, responsibilities. You know, the years in the grand scheme of life that you are a child and innocent and don't have responsibilities, you can lean on your parents to provide for you, they're very small in the grand scheme of your life. And my mom and my parents, my dad were absolutely right. Enjoy being a child. Don't rush to grow up. But when I was a kid, I asked my mother one time, why don't I have those? Do you know what I was talking about when I said those? What could I possibly have been talking about? Any guesses? Boobs. Why don't I have breasts? Now, my mother, being a responsible, sane, principled, normal human being, said, because you're a boy. Boys don't have boobs. Boys don't have breasts. You're a boy, not a girl. But these individuals, like some of these lunatics that work at Disney, if their child had asked them that, they would have said, well, do you want boobs? Because we can go to the hospital right now. I can put you on puberty blockers. I can put you on a number of things to help you get boobs. And that's the kind of depraved behavior we're talking about. But anyway, the Pino, or the Pino, however you want to say it, which is the president in name only, that would be Joe Biden, the one and only moron, the worst president in American history. Well, he says to the transgender community today, he has your back. Well, I'm glad he has somebody's back because he definitely doesn't have your back or mine. In fact, it's a lie. Um, all of us are suffering. It doesn't matter if you're transgender, gay, bisexual, any member of the alphabet community. All Americans are suffering because of Joe Biden's policies, the Democratic Party Party's policies through inflation, soaring gas prices. And their solution is, of course, to exacerbate it and make it worse because they have an agenda. They're tyrants and they're liars. But we'll get to more of that a little bit later. Uh, the Disney lesson. I want to get into that because I'll probably talk about that. You know, this is fun. You know, what's fun about this is you're at the beginning stages of the Drew Allen career. I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I am actually being humble and saying, you know, this is the beginning stage for me. 
Uh, the podcast, this is the 79th episode, I believe. I haven't been doing this that long. I've been writing articles, columns, longer than I've been doing the podcast. And and uh, those of you, many of you have been with me since the very beginning. I know who you are, some of you, many of you, especially the friends and family that began with me. And now our audience has grown to thousands. So we're growing day in and day out. And I want to thank all of you who've been with me since the very beginning and who have stuck with me and depended upon me to be your source of truth of relative objectivity in terms of being honest about things. Um, And so this Disney lesson, I can tell you right now, 10, 15, 20 years from now, God willing, I'm still doing this podcast and my audience continues to grow. I will always refer to this as the Disney lesson. So remember this moment. Remember this moment, my loyal friends and patriots who are listening to me because you're on the inside right now and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when in the future I say, Remember the Disney lesson. Now, Disney, here's the lesson from Disney. What happened to Disney? They've been hijacked by a bunch of radical, a small radical fringe minority of, uh, I call them the Alphabet Mafia, right? The Alphabet Mafia, who issued threats, who condemned Disney, who demanded that they, uh, you know, adopt their radical leftist agenda, which is to indoctrinate our children and sexualize them. It's absolutely amoral and unprincipled. But I want to give you some perspective. Disney, this does not include, by the way, ESPN and the other, uh, you know, Disney's a bigger company. They've gobbled up ESPN, for example. They own a bunch of other companies. But Disney itself, which would be the parks, uh, be represented in California, for example, and Florida, well, they employ roughly 200,000 employees. Now, how did a small radical fringe minority of leftist activists get Disney to bend the knee and, well, they they betrayed their original mission, they turned their back on the house of the mouse, and they became the house of deviants. How is this possible? So 200,000 approximate employees at Disney... And you know what their threat was? Well, you know, we're going to walk out. Do you know how many employees participated in the (laughs) nationwide walkout of Disney in protest of the Florida bill which prevents teachers from sexualizing children, straight, gay, anything? Well, 60 to 100. That's the estimates from the reporting. 60 to 100 employees out of 200,000 participated in the walkout. Now, the conservatives wrote an anonymous letter. That's right, an anonymous letter. While the radical fringe minority of lunatics and leftist activists were issuing threats, issuing a list of demands that I've talked about before on this program, and demanding that Disney condemn the Florida bill, well, the conservatives, well, they complained, and they wrote an anonymous letter saying, well, we feel uncomfortable at work, it's not fair. And this is the irony of conservatism today, which is something we have to fix. This is the Disney lesson. While... Conservatives claim to be the silent majority. We act like the silent minority. And furthermore, while we condemn victimhood, right? Those people that claim to be victims of everything, which is a leftist aspect of their orthodoxy and ideology, while we condemn that, we ourselves make ourselves out to be victims. And this is the problem at Disney. These conservatives couldn't muster 60 to 100 individuals who are willing to stand up for their principles. In the letter they submitted, by the way, they claim about how they've watched from their desks 
as this hostile takeover has taken over. They feel uncomfortable at work. They're the victims. They've watched, watched, watched. They've watched silently and, and not spoken about politics, remain politically neutral, not talked about their opinions at work. Meanwhile, the leftist alphabet mafia has openly discussed their opinions and lobbied, used company time, company money to demand that Disney abandon the moral principle, the house of the mouse, and become a house of deviants. Well, what's the problem? They watched while what? The leftist activists acted. We can't do this anymore. You know, now these Disney employees, by the way, the conservatives, they passed the buck. They want us to boycott Disney. That's fine. We have to do it. We have to do it. We cannot continue to support Disney. You need to unsubscribe. You, you do. You have to. I have to. I mean, I have, but I'm not, I'm not subscribing. But anyway, you can't go to the parks anymore. If you care about this stuff, if you really have a problem with this, that's what you can do. Stop going to the theme park. Stop buying their products. Unsubscribe to Disney+. Plus. Have nothing to do with Disney in the future. Sell your stocks. And by the way, now's a good time to sell your Disney stocks because if you don't sell your Disney stocks, they're only going to go down. You're going to lose money anyway. So now's the time to sell. Make them hurt. But the Disney employees that were conservative had a unique opportunity. They were in Disney. What was to stop them from having 60 to 100 of their employees stage a walkout? Why couldn't they demand that Disney espouse their political beliefs? What was Disney going to do if 100 conservative employees staged a walkout at the same time that leftist activists were staging their walkout? Was Disney going to fire the conservatives but promote the leftists? If they had, there would be a class action lawsuit that they could have won and enriched themselves. That was the upshot. They had nothing to lose. So we can't be victims anymore. The left is fearless and we are fearful and cowardly. The left plays to win. They believe in their minds that their victory is inevitable. That's how they behave. That's how they act. That's how they they go about their daily business. What do we do? Wave the white flag of surrender before we even enter a fight. We make their victory inevitable because we accept our defeat as inevitable. So we have to stop this and knock it off. But you know what's funny to me about this Disney thing too, by the way? Doesn't it bring back up to light the nature versus nurture argument, right? How many times have we been told by that particular community, especially the gay community, well, um, you know, you're born gay or you're born straight. That's it. Now, I'm not saying that's not true. Certainly, people are born having a natural attraction to the same sex. That's true. But if that's the case, and you're just born wanting to be transgender, or born wanting to be bisexual, or born wanting to be gay, well, why do they feel the need to have teachers impress upon five-year-olds to nine-year-olds gay orthodoxy? transgender orthodoxy. If you're born that way, why do they feel the need to indoctrinate and encourage that behavior? Nature versus nurture. It's both, by the way. If you go back and look historically at percentages, I mean, certainly, uh, people have always been gay, for example. Transgender? No. But gay? Certainly. Okay, fine. Whatever. But again, I would ask you, when your child is born and you're looking into its eyes, in the hospital for the first time, do you look at that child and say, gee whiz, I hope my child grows up to be gay. I hope my child grows up to be transgender. I hope my child grows up to want to choose its own pronoun. Of course not. Of course not. 
And my point is, if you look at the United States, the number of individuals, especially young individuals who do not know anything about anything, I'm talking about young teenagers, adolescents, even five to nine-year-olds these people want to sexualize, well, they continue to increase the percentage of the population that identifies in this broad umbrella of LGBTQIA+, whatever they call them, the alphabet world. That's not natural. That is nurtured, and that's what they want to do. So anyway, I just want to bring that up because I think that's an important point to make. There is a nurturing component going on here that's not natural. And these individuals want to impress that upon your children. That's not their business. That's not their job. That's not Disney's job. And, um, you know, I'm going to play a clip right now, actually, of this. uh, Well, she's a, a, a lunatic at Disney. This is an executive producer. Now, an executive producer is a very powerful role. They, ha- they oversee certain shows. They dictate the storylines. They are in charge of the writers, in charge of the execution of the filming, everything, the storylines. And this is somebody who was filmed at a recent meeting at Disney that had this to say. Like, I was just, wherever I could, just basically adding queerness to, like, the, if you see anything queer in the show. But like, I I just was like, no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. So there you have it. That individual is gleeful. They are out in the open about their agenda. They want to insert queerness as often as they can. And there was another person, by the way, who's an executive at Disney. I'm not going to play that clip, but she's a parent, a mother. She claims that she has two children. One is, I believe, transgender and the other is pansexual. I actually don't even know what pansexual means. I'll have to look it up. You probably know. I don't care. I don't care. But she has raised two children who are trans, to, who are outside the mainstream. Now, the possibility of that is very slim. And we know why this is. This person raised her children to be that way, encouraged them to be that way. Uh, that is an abusive mother, in my opinion. And she celebrates it. Now, the transgender issue is very, very different. Because... There is something wrong with somebody who feels like, it's like me, okay? I like. Let me use this example again. So if that was my mother instead of the mother I had, right? This Disney executive. And I came to her and said, well, hi, mom. How come I don't have those things you have on your chest? Oh, well, do you, do you want them? Do you want them, Drew? I don't know. Yeah, maybe you do want them. Do you like them? Well, I tell you what, I'm going to put you on puberty blockers and I'm going to get you boobs. That is, that is absolute abuse. That child should be taken away from that, that parent. But that's what you have at Disney reigning supreme. But these people, and that same Disney executive, by the way, she claims she wants to make 50% of the characters or something like that LGBTQIA. I mean, that's overrepresentation. And why are they forcing this agenda on our children? It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Okay, so uh, let's get into some other issues, though. Inflation. So this is great. What do you know? The San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank found that Biden's spending, guess what, fueled inflation. Now, that's not a shock to anybody with a brain, but uh, the Democrats will deny this. They are denying it currently. The average household, by the way, this year due to inflation, do you know how much they're going to pay? 
$5,200 more this year than last year as a result of inflation. Now, some of you may be very financially secure. For some of you, $5,200 is nothing. You could go and spend that at French Laundry like Gavin Newsom. But for the majority of Americans, $5,200 is huge. That means a very real struggle. Uh, That means decisions that none of us want to have to make have to be made. Decisions about when you can go out to eat, what you cook, what you buy. You have to make sacrifices constantly because you have $5,200 less than you did this year than last year. And that's not because of taxes. It's because of that, well, unspoken tax, which is inflation. That is hurting people so bad. And this administration's response is to make inflation worse. This is why I have no respect for these individuals. They are not good and decent moral people. They don't care. I sit here as someone who is looking at this, and I do feel for my American brothers and sisters. I feel their pain myself as well because I am making $5,200 a year less than I did last year because of inflation. And while I would seek solutions and while I know what the solutions are, this administration doesn't care. They're so callous, so driven by their agenda to radically transform America, make people more dependent upon the Democratic Party specifically, that they just shrug it off. And what do they do? Remember, they blame the greedy meat companies, big meat, they said, other industries. Except, do you know what? The producer price index, now that's different than the consumer price index, right? The producer price index is the inflation experienced at the top of the food chain, the people who are making the products. It's upstream of us. So the cost for producers also rose. That's why their prices are increasing because they're having to pay more themselves and it trickles down and affects all of us. But the, the, but the Biden administration is lying through their teeth about all of this. And do you know what's fascinating? The San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank discovered something. Do you know what they discovered? Do you remember back in March of 2021? That is when Biden passed his $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. And the Democrats own it. They passed it on their own in Congress without a single Democrat, without a single, single Republican vote. And they did this through the budget reconciliation process. Now, I'm not going to get too heady about this. Just look, roughly, basically, this is it. The budget reconciliation co- process, it allows the Senate to pass legislation once a year with a simple majority vote. So they got 50 votes plus Kamala Harris, the tie-breaking vote, 51 votes to pass this. Usually in the Senate, you need 60 votes, a 60-vote majority to pass legislation, but they can use budget reconciliation just once a year, and that's what they did. This is the bill, $1.9 trillion printed in money that we did not have. They sent $1,400 direct payments to most Americans, It extended the $300 unemployment boost. It did a lot of other things, spent money elsewhere, wasted money elsewhere. For example, they put $120 billion into public schools for what? They remained closed. They were shut down. It was a shakedown. Before I I get into the rest of this inflation stuff and what the Democrats are doing, I want to find something because this is an important story about what the Democrats and the CDC have done. The absolute corruption there and this, uh, this COVID hoax that they put us through. So I just told you about how they gave $120 billion to public schools, right? So here's the story. This is 
This is per uh, Fox News. And I've talked about this story before, but I want to jog your memory. This goes back to the CDC, right? When they were issuing their guidelines and mandates, they were supposed to put science first, right? It was all science-based. They were following the science, but they weren't following the science. They were caving to the teachers' union's demands. Why should the teachers' unions, the American Federation of Teachers, for example, why should they have input into policies if it's related to health and public safety? They shouldn't, but it was political all along. Now, here's the exclusive. Republican lawmakers who sit on the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis are releasing a report Wednesday revealing a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention official's testimony claiming that the agency coordinated with teachers' unions at an extraordinary level in crafting its school reopening guidance. Despite the agency's earlier lies... That such court, I said lies, they say claims, lies that such coordination was routine and non-political. It was political. So here we go. Here's the interim report. This should outrage all of you. It outrages me. So apparently the emails between the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, the White House, and the CDC showed that the AFT, the teachers' cozy relationship with the Biden administration's political leadership at the CDC positioned the union to impose line-by-line edits to the reopening guidance. So they were submitted the guidance by the CDC, and the teachers' unions looked at it and were able to go through and edit it and ask and make their demands. And this is, uh, this is alarming because the CDC's past practice was to keep the draft guidance confidential. So it wasn't confidential. It was shared with the teachers' unions ahead of time And then it was given back to them as if they were passing legislation back between the House and the Senate to sign something. So it was supposed to be unpolitical, apolitical, it was supposed to be confidential, but they sent it to the teachers' unions for validation and for edits. So this this came back, I mean, we knew this back in October. Uh, These emails obtained by the Americans for Public Trust showed the AFT and the National Education Association, the NEA, the two largest teachers unions in the U.S., that, well, they received a copy of the guidance before the CDC released it to the public. And on February 11th, 2021, one day before the CDC publicly posted the guidance, AFTs, the American Federation of Teachers, Senior Director of Health Issues, Kelly Trotner, emailed CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky, asking her to insert the line, quote, in the event high community transmission results from a new variant of SARS-CoV-2, a new update of these guidelines may be necessary. The emails, by the way, revealed that Walensky forwarded the email to Dr. Henry Walk, the director of the CDC's Center for Preparedness and Response, who then revised the guidance in accordance with AFT's request. So what is the teachers' unions doing getting involved in a medical issue? in a pandemic. The emails also revealed that the CDC officials coordinated an early release of the final guidance to the AFT before releasing it to the public. The AFT's edits were intended to make it more likely that schools would close to in-person learning. So the teachers wanted schools closed. They didn't want to go back to in-person teaching, and they colluded with the CDC to make that possible. And in this inflationary bill, the $1.9 trillion, $120 billion was given out to public schools. For what? This was a shakedown. This is the, the reality about the teachers' unions, by the way. Uh, it's like the mafia. We pour our taxpayer dollars into the teachers' unions, line their pockets, 
And then they turn around and pour those tax day, taxpayer dollars back into the Democratic Party. That's what's going on. So anyway, back to the inflation. So there's a graph and it shows that it shows American inflation compared to inflation in other developed countries. So this chart graph, it ends before, by the way, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So don't give me the garbage argument that Russia, Ukraine is responsible for inflation because this doesn't even include Russia, Ukraine. This graph goes up until before the Russia invasion of Ukraine. So inflation skyrocketed after the passage. They can point to it. It's on the graph. Basically, the moment this bill passed, the $1.9 trillion were printed for COVID relief, they say. Well, inflation skyrocketed nearly three percentage points almost immediately. Almost immediately. It goes, by the way, from 1.5, that's the rate of inflation, to nearly four nearly four, which coincides with the Democrat spending bill. And then it hits five before 2022, before the invasion. So printing more money, as we know, because, I mean, just as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, printing more money contributes and causes inflation. It is responsible and the graph proves it. And Joe wants $22 billion more, plus a $5.8 trillion budget. Biden and the Democrats are murdering our economy. If America, by the way, is a patient, Biden is committing malpractice. If he's the doctor, he's giving us poison and calling it medicine, and it's intentional. And that's what I mean. In light of this fact, I mean, here you have the Federal Reserve in San Francisco pointing directly to the the cause of inflation. They've diagnosed it to that bill and the spending that took place afterwards. And this administration wants to print more money. It's not accidental. It's intentional. They want you to hurt. They want me to hurt. It's part of the design. And I'll get into a little bit of that later with this World Economic Forum you may have heard about in the Great Reset. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's true. And I'm going to get into it. But before there, before that, the border crisis. Here's another situation. Biden has caused a problem at the border and his solution is to exacerbate it. So the border patrol chief, his name's Raul Ortiz, he has said that they're going to hit 1 million encounters with illegals for the fiscal year 2022. Now, fiscal year 2022, just semantics. The fiscal year started in October. Now, we're less than six months in, and Raul Raul Ortiz is saying that they're going to hit 1 million encounters this year. Now, those are the only one, those are only the ones that they catch. That doesn't include all the ones that get away. I've heard figures up to 2 million and so on and so forth. So more than 1 million people will be illegally entering our country in in a year. That's not uh, immigration. That's an invasion. And now Biden is announcing that he's going to lift Title 42. And Peppermint Patty, she's still on vacation or she's in quarantine. I don't know. I mean, I can only, maybe she's visiting her therapist right now to come to terms with the fact that her literal job is to lie to the American people, to run cover for a criminal right now who is destroying America. So Peppermint Patty didn't give, wasn't there for this press conference, but Kate Bedingfield was filling in. And she admitted 
When the CDC ultimately decides it's appropriate to lift Title 42, there will be an influx of people to the border. So they're admitting that if they lift this, there's going to be an influx to the border, which is going to exacerbate the current invasion that exists. Now, Title 42, just to give you a refresher, uh, remember the Haitian invasion? The media was reporting that many of those illegals were being released into the United States. Uh, A reporter back then asked Jen Psaki, here is the quote, Media on the border have reported that many Haitians are being released into the United States. Can you clarify why there's not being placed? Why can you clarify why they're not being placed on expulsion flights to Haiti? And does the administration have any concern that those that these releases undercut the public messaging that Haitians should not come to the border? And here was Jinsaki's response. Peppermint Patty Well, let me explain to a little bit of how the process works. So DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, continues to expel migrants under Title CDC's Title 42 authority. So they used to point to the Title 42, which Donald Trump put in place back in March of 2020 when the pandemic was coming. Look, Title 42, by the way... um, It's very simple. It's a section of the Public Health Safety Act that allows the U.S. government to temporarily block non-citizens from entering the U.S. when doing so is required in the interest of public health. So that's what Trump put in place because Lord knows the Democrats wouldn't give him the wall, wouldn't give him anything. So he had to use every weapon at his disposal to try and prevent the mass illegal immigration into the United States of America. So back then... The Biden administration was pointing to the fact that they still were implementing using Title 42 that Trump put in place to try and pretend like they cared, try and pretend like they were actually doing something to prevent this illegal influx. They used to care. Now, they weren't. They were making exceptions left and right. Um, I mean, for example, you know, so, so Biden didn't repeal Title 42, uh, and like I said, that was just this, this cover they had to say, this is in place still. We're not, we don't have open borders. That's why they kept it in place. Also, there's a secondary reason they kept it in place. And that's because they were still pushing this, these lockdowns, right? They were still using the pandemic to run roughshod and put their boots on the throats of the American people and subjugate us to their tyranny. So they couldn't lift Title 42, which was put in place because of the pandemic, to prevent an influx of of COVID-positive immigrants into our country, they couldn't eliminate that while also continuing to demand that we wear masks indoors, socially distance, and so on and so forth. But Biden, while he didn't repeal it, he didn't really enforce it either. For example, he made exceptions, right? So it was still in place nominally, but Biden said, well, you know, this isn't going to apply to unaccompanied children, You know, we're going to start processing those people sent back to Mexico under Trump's remain in Mexico policy. And then Mexico, by the way, passed a policy saying, well, we're over capacity. We can't keep all these people who tried to illegally enter into the U.S. and Mexico anymore. And Biden said, great, we'll bring them back into the U.S. So anyway, now May 23rd is the date Biden is set to end drop the Title 42 protection. It was put in place to mitigate the spread of COVID. 
and keep illegals out. So is he announcing that COVID's over now? I don't know. Here's a clip of uh, Dr. Fauci, by the way. Um, No, I'm not going to play the clip of Dr. Fauci just yet. I'll tell you what the Fauci thing's about, though. Fauci is making uh, his rounds again. He's resurfaced from witness protection. He's out there again saying that Americans should prepare themselves for the possibility of future lockdowns. This is outrageous. So they're going to lift Title 42, uh, officially declaring the pandemic's over, as if they didn't already do that anyway. But now Fauci's still out there saying, well, Americans should still get ready to lock down if we deem it necessary. But here is Fauci back in, uh, I don't know when this was. This is earlier in his career. But I want you to listen to this because he says, well, listen to it and then we'll comment, okay? Uh, but she's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And if she she really has the flu, if she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. If she really has the flu, she should not get it again. No, she doesn't need it because it's the it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected. yourself. So you hear Fauci there saying what does that not make your blood boil? Infection. Getting the flu. Is better than a vaccine. Infection is the best vaccine you can have. Provides immunity. Provides protection. And we just had to listen to this jerk, this liar, for over two years and continuing, tell us that everyone needs to get vaccinated. That that's the only way forward. They totally denounced, ignored the scientific truth and reality that getting COVID was better if you were young, if you were healthy, if it wasn't a severe issue for you, getting COVID is the best thing that could happen because it provided natural immunity. And they subjected us to the new dark ages of America, telling us the opposite, that the only way forward was to actually get it. Now, interestingly, by the way, about this Title 42, well, dropping it by the Biden administration, this is a huge issue for the Democratic Party. Look, I'm going to talk about this more in a little bit, but we need to feed them the rope to hang themselves metaphorically, with some of these issues because they're not popular amongst the American people. I'll give you an example. There are two Arizona Democrats, Senate Democrats, uh, Kirsten Sinema and Mark Kelly, who say that this should remain in place because the U.S. Border Patrol is expecting a sharp rise in illegal invaders. Now, Mark Kelly's up for re-election in November, and he's saying, no, we need to keep this in place. This is a problem. This is a problem. The Democrats want an influx of illegal immigrants into this country. It's been happening. And now they're so brazen. They're not even pretending to care anymore. They're just coming out and saying the border is wide open and they know it's going to cause a further influx. And we're already looking at a million apprehensions in one year. Encounters, I should say, which means upwards of close to 2 million people have probably come into the country. We don't know where they are. They're in the various states. We know that Biden has actually put these individuals on planes in the middle of the night and flown them using taxpayer dollars into the interior of the United States of America, aiding and assisting illegal immigrants? It's absolutely insane. I want to get into this other story, too, about the Hunter Biden laptop, because I'm so so outraged right now about what's going on. I mean, the Washington Post, following on the heels of the New York Times, is now admitting that they can they can verify the Hunter Biden laptop is real. And the media is talking about this 
all across the board. I mean, it's actually in the news now. They suppressed it before the election, during the election, and after the election, but now they're acting like they didn't do that. They're just openly talking about it. And this means one of two things, okay? The fact that the media is discussing the story is because, I mean, there are really only two possibilities. One is that they know indictments are coming of Hunter Biden, and they're trying to get ahead of it. The secondary possibility is that the Democrats are realizing, accepting that Joe Biden is doing more harm than good to the party now. His time as a useful idiot to them is over. It's hurting their poll numbers. It's hurting their chances in the midterms. And they're preparing for the possibility of getting rid of him and replacing him with Kamala Harris. Now, I actually don't, I just don't see that. I don't see that in the tea leaves, if you will. I think more importantly, what's going to happen, I think it's getting ahead of the story. I I just don't see them getting rid of Joe Biden. There's too much hubris, too much arrogance. They're doubling down on everything. I don't see why they would get rid of, of, um, of Joe Biden. I mean, we know that this transgender issue, uh, the opposition to the Florida bill, it's not popular. It's hurting them. We saw what happened in Virginia when that state went from dark blue to bright red the next day because of critical race theory and the Democrat stance that parents, well, that kids belong to teachers and not parents. Those are losing issues, but they're doubling down on them no matter, despite what's happening to them. I just don't see it. I mean, their policy is not to accept any responsibility for anything, to deflect blame. They're not guilty of anything, culpable of anything. So I don't see them doing that. I think that they're getting ahead of it. They know indictments are coming. And it's because of what I'm talking about here with the Hunter Biden laptop. And what they'll do, I think you'll see this in the media, what the Democrats are more than likely uh, going to do is say, well, this is a Hunter Biden issue. This doesn't involve his father. This is Hunter Biden. So I think they're more likely to try and throw Hunter Biden under the bus for this. But we'll see. We'll see. But that would be my theory. But anyway, so Rick Moran over at PJ Media writes this headline, receipts show direct payments from Chinese communist oligarchs to Hunter Biden's firm. Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley took to the Senate floor on Monday to reveal evidence that directly ties the president's son, Hunter Biden, to payments made by the Chinese energy firm, CEFC, an arm of the Chinese communist government. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. So... The CECF paid Wells Fargo Clearing Services $100,000 and designated, quote, further credit to Owasco, which is Hunter's firm. There's no middleman for this transaction. So the CCP directly paid $100,000 to Hunter Biden. Now, here's why this payment is important. It didn't end there. Uh, One of Hunter Biden's business associates was a guy named Patrick Ho. Ho was one of the chief lieutenants of Yi Jianming, the CEFC chairman. Now, according to a 2020 Senate report, Hunter Biden agreed to represent Ho when he got jammed up by U.S. law enforcement. So he got charged, Ho, by the Justice Department in 2017. So he called James Biden... Um, who has said he thought the call was meant for Hunter. So Ho was indicted and convicted under the Foreign Corruption Practices Act for his role in a global money laundering and bribery scheme. So he tried to reach out to Hunter for help because uh, 
Uh, Hunter agreed to represent him as part of his efforts, Hunter's efforts, to work out a liquefied natural gas deal worth tens of millions of dollars with Yi. So Yi was a business associate. So Yi came into trouble, and Hunter agreed to try and protect him and help him. And so this report concluded that Yi, uh, who was one of the... Uh, Yi was the CEFC chairman, the communist. So Yi's the communist Chinese guy, right? So Yi raised concerns that Ho was under investigation by U.S. law enforcement. And Hunter, Hunter Biden then agreed to represent Ho. And so this was a favor by Hunter Biden. And this is what opened up this floodgate of cash for the Biden family. So in August 2017, after he agrees to represent Ho, Hunter Biden that would be, uh... CEFC infrastructure investment wired $5 million to the bank account for Hudson West III, which was linked to Hunter Biden. Do you see how that works? So he does a favor on behalf of the communist Chinese of representing this kid Ho. And then the CEFC, a communist Chinese um, associated company, sent $5 million to the bank account of Hunter Biden. And Yi, by the way, the communist Chinese guy, the chairman of the company, CEFC, well, he was actively working to build the Chinese company by making investments around the world. And these efforts included cultivating ties with Russia and actors connected to Russian President Vladimir Putin. And this is the full circle. This is why what's happening in uh, Ukraine is impossible to understand because there's more to the story. There's more to the story. Before I get into Russia, Ukraine, and my thoughts on what's going on there, my update, uh, I mean, this is a smoking gun, right, by the way? This shows direct links, direct ties uh, by the CCP to Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And it also relates to cultivating ties with Russia. So China and Russia are linked. So anything that's happening between Russia and Ukraine, China is the silent partner in that. You cannot forget that China is a part of this. That is the missing link in much of this equation. You cannot look at Russia and Ukraine in isolation. There's influence happening around the world. A lot of it's from the World Economic Forum. So the Washington Post, here's a headline, right? Here's how the, how the, here's how the Post, that'd be the Washington Post, analyzed Hunter Biden's laptop. Here's the gist. Two security experts over there that they hired or whatever. They used cryptographic signatures from Google and other technology companies to validate nearly 22,000 emails from 2009 to 2019, including messages related to Hunter Biden's controversial overseas business dealings. Now, why does this make my blood boil? Because the Washington Post, when this story broke by the New York Post three weeks before the 2020 election, they said that they could not confirm it. They had no way of analyzing the laptop and proving that it was real. They said it was Russian misinformation. But they could have done this back in 2020 because they're doing it now. Now they've hired two security experts who say it's real when they could have done it in 2020, but they didn't do it. Everyone knew it was real. It was the biggest cover-up in American history, the biggest scandal, and it ensured that Joe Biden got stuck in the White House. Back in 2020, here's what the Washington Post fact checker feature said. Well, they said the paper has not been able to verify or authenticate these emails and said that there were fears that the emails could be part of a broader disinformation campaign by Russia. There you have it. They called it unverified. It's never been authenticated. 
And now the propagandist media who lied through their teeth, covered this up, are now just willy-nilly, oh, well, the laptop's real. Even though they denied it, criticized anyone, attacked anybody who said it was real, tried to put them through hell, claimed we were conspiracy theorists, that Russia was behind it, and now all of a sudden they're saying, oops, oops, and this could have been the difference between Joe Biden being in the White House and Donald Trump. They colluded, they cheated, and they stole the 2020 election. Don't you ever forget that? Don't you let them forget that? They were complicit. They made sure that took place. By the way, do you know the FEC has fined Clinton, Hillary Clinton, the DNC? That's right. The Clinton and the Democratic National Committee have paid the FEC fines. They fined Uh, Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign and the DNC for lying about funding that discredited Steele dossier, which was their attempt to smear then-candidate Donald Trump. So the FEC said Clinton and the DNC violated strict rules on describing expenditures of payments funneled to the opposition research firm Fusion GPS through their law firm. I've talked about this a ton, but my point is the DNC and Clinton campaign just paid the FEC a combined one million twenty-four thousand one yes. One well, a little over a million dollars. Let's just leave it there, okay? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me back up. The DNC and the Clinton campaign, they paid a million dollars in legal services. They said, not opposition research, to the law firm Perkins Coy for Fusion GPS's information. Now remember, it was this big complicated deal to try and distance themselves from what they were doing, but Hillary Clinton paid Perkins Coy, which was the intermediary, an intermediary who then paid Fusion GPS to develop the Steele dossier, which made all the phony claims of Trump-Russia collusion. So they paid over a million dollars, and then they lied to the FEC and said they were just paying Perkins Coy for legal services. Now you understand why. This was illegal. So they couldn't pay Fusion GPS directly. This is a bombshell that I don't think many are talking about except me right now. This was a bombshell. So they they try and circumvent it, try to circumvent it, right? They paid Fusion GPS, they paid Perkins Coy, a law firm, so they could then lie to the FEC and say it was legal services. But that's not what happened. The Clinton campaign, this was their argument, they paid for legal advice and services because it was Perkins Coy, not them, that hired Fusion GPS. But the FEC said the law was clear and violated. Do you remember what the Democrats did to Trump with the Stormy Daniels? I talked about it last episode. So Trump paid Stormy Daniels in 2016 during that election campaign $130,000. They claimed it was hush money. The hush money scandal paid her to be quiet Now, the question was always, was it personal or political? Was it to save his marriage or was it to keep bad news that could hurt his election chances out of the news in 2016? And the the FEC, of course, has ruled that he didn't commit any kind of campaign finance violation. So Trump's off the hook. But this was, when collusion didn't work out, this was the new scandal. Remember remember with Michael Cohen and everything else, they were saying, oh, the hush money, the hush money. Donald Trump should, he's, he's amoral. Uh, we didn't get him on Trump-Russia collusion. That, that went out the window. That failed. So now we're going to get him on this FEC, FEC. But, you know, their argument then was the fact that they were alleging that Trump had committed some kind of uh, FEC violation, campaign 
violation, well, that was grounds for like impeachment as well. You know, that he's so corrupt. But you have Hillary Clinton who actually committed it. She just had to pay out money to the FEC and settle with him because she actually violated it. But d- does anybody in the Democrat Party care? Does the left care? Does the media care? They're not going to talk about this at all. They don't care. They only cared about Trump. And that's the thing. You can be guaranteed of one thing, folks. If the Democratic Party is accusing Trump of doing anything, they're guilty of it themselves. He's the cleanest guy in politics. But, you know, Obama violated the FEC rules back in 2008. The Obama campaign was fined $375,000. Nobody cared. That was the biggest fine ever. Nobody talked about it. Nobody cared. But then with Trump, he didn't actually do it, but they were accusing him of doing it, and they wanted his scalp for it. I can't take it with these Democrats. They spent millions on secret opposition research. Research. Over a million dollars they spent on the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. But nobody bats an eye. Nobody cares. Biden's got extensive ties to the CCP. But, you know, some kind of day of reckoning is coming. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it is coming. I'm going to take a short break. I'll be right back. Uh, I want to talk about Russia-Ukraine, all right? This is Drew Allen. Be right back. Well, you might, you might find this interesting. So I am uh, under active censorship right now. I'll explain what I mean. So I had, so human events, let me start there. Human events, uh, it's a great conservative publication that has been revived in recent years. Right now, it's uh, some of the editors there. I think it's Charlie Kirk, Jack Posobiec. Great Americans, brilliant guys. You know their names, I'm sure. And uh, it was Ronald Reagan's favorite magazine. It was. And uh, lately, they've, they've been publishing, gobbling up everything I've written. I just had my latest, the Disney lesson published there. And the reason I bring this up is, if you go to Google and you type in Drew Allen, the Disney lesson, the Disney Lesson Human Events, Drew Allen, The Disney Lesson Human Events, you will find nothing. It's as if my article does not exist. That is how heavy the censorship is. That's how real it is. I understand it because it happens to me often, but this is the first time in which I've discovered that no combination of words or specificity will reveal my article in the Google search results. Not a Zilch. Crazy, right? Censorship is real, and it happens even to me. So you're tuned in to a good place because if they're censoring me, it's because I'm saying things they don't want me to say, which are things that are true and need to be heard. But back to Russia, Ukraine. Look, all I can say that is uh, broadly applicable to every one of you listening is that be skeptical of everything you're hearing reported about that crisis. Just be skeptical. Have a skeptical mind. It's important because it's unreliable and there's more than meets the eye. And I'll explain what I mean. You know, Zelensky, just the other day, that'd be the president of Ukraine. He gets more wise after his name every day. Soon it's going to be Zelensky. 
Anyway, it's been spelled in the past differently. Then it was one Y, now it's two Ys, whatever. Zelensky E. Well, he, um, you know, did one of his little pressers where he has his camera faced at him and he's wearing some kind of military colored green, you know, short sleeve T-shirt playing the role of some uh, military hero there in Ukraine. Well, he, uh, he just made an announcement pushing for Europe to transition to green new energy. Here's the quotation. Russia's aggression against Ukraine is an argument to ex- accelerate green transformation on the continent. Europe must give up Russian oil, give up as soon as possible. Now, this made my antennae go straight up. What I would say for my personal opinion, look, no doubt Russia's the aggressor here. No doubt any harm that's come to Ukrainians or the cities is morally repugnant and to be denounced and decried. But Zelensky is no hero. Zelensky is a a prop, in my opinion. He's a fraud. He is a tool of the globalist agenda. Here he is in the middle of an apparent war, an invasion of his country, and he's taking the opportunity to push for green new energy. Now, you could say, oh, well, you know, he's just looking at what's happening in Russia with their oil, and he's, he's looking to defeat Russia by saying they should stop buying Russian oil. But he can't be that stupid because every country still needs oil. America uses 22 million barrels of oil a day. Europe needs oil. There is no green new energy source that can supplant oil. It just can't. Even if you believe in the climate change hoax, it's not feasible. It's not pragmatic. And so here's Zelensky. And by the way, a little history about Zelensky. He ran as a kind of a populist, right? This anti-corruption candidate who was going to sock it to the corrupt oligarchs in Ukraine, their version of the ruling ruling class, their D.C. elite, if you will, in Ukraine. But in reality, Zelensky himself is an oligarch. Do you know he's worth, it's estimated, between near a billion dollars or more than a billion dollars? Now, he did not make that fortune being a Russian, I mean, a Ukrainian TV star. He is richer than Chris Rock, Will Smith combined. He is richer than America's, Hollywood's biggest TV stars, a billionaire by many estimates. Now, he attacked his incumbent that he ran against, Petro Poroshenko for parking his assets offshore. But Zelensky owned and invested in numerous offshore companies himself, for example. He had a stake in this offshore company that he secretly transferred to a friend just before the election. And now he's pushing the Green New Energy agenda. Um, And he's been a a Green New Energy advocate for a while, by the way. Back in June of 2021, Zelensky signed this Ukrainian version of a executive order, if you will, more or less. He signed this decree, and it's called the Green Country Project. Pledged to plant a bunch of trees, much like AOC. He and AOC could have a great date. If if AOC ditched the uh, ginger, I mean, she could be with Zelensky. They'd be a match made in heaven. But in this uh, executive order, this Green Country Project... 
He announced and and uh, you know the the development of renewable energy sources, electric transport, energy efficiency. He sounds a lot like Joe Biden, like the Democratic Party. He wanted to push even back in 2021 before the invasion, green new energy. So if anything, this guy's ignorant, absolutely ignorant. He's part of this climate cult. Now this this is the World Economic Forum. I'm sure you've heard a lot about that. It's not a conspiracy. It exists. They're, they have they had a build back better climate agenda. Build back better. Where have you heard that? The Biden agenda. Build back better. This comes straight out of the World Economic Forum. Now Zelensky's repeating the talking points. Biden's pushing the talking points. I mean now. His solution is he's going to, you know, he's raised gas prices because of his policies. And now he's going to try and give us relief of seven cents at the gas at the at seven cents a gallon at the pump because he's going to deplete our entire strategic oil reserves, which are not meant for this. And it's only going to exacerbate the problem. That's what I mean. He's layering a crisis on top of a crisis and trying to pretend like he's doing something to alleviate the pain of Americans when the only option, the only real solution is to stop implementing policies that are preventing American oil production. So anyway, Ukraine and Zelensky, in my opinion, are being used as a tool to achieve this World Economic Forum Biden shift to green new energy, the globalist agenda. This is the Great Reset. When you hear Great Reset, this is what it is. So Klaus Schwab is the leader of the World Economic Forum. He's the founder Now, these are those global elites. They meet at Davos in Switzerland every year, and they talk about how they can, you know, eradicate capitalism and re-engineer the global economy, the global politics as they see fit. And this has been in the works for some time, this shift to green new energy. Back in 2014, Schwab announced what we want to do in Davos this year is to push the reset button. It's out in the open, the great reset. It's not anything new. Now, I want to explain this. Now, this is from a talk delivered at Hillsdale College back in 2021. Stick with me. Back on November 7th, 2021, the speaker was Michael Rechtenwald, and he's the chief academic officer for American Scholars. I'm going to slow down here. He's, uh, he has a BA from the University of Pittsburgh, an MA from Case Western Reserve University, and a PhD in literary and cultural studies from Carnegie Mellon University. This guy's no hack. And so I have some pull quotes here. From his speech in May of 2018, the World Economic Forum collaborated with the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security to conduct Clade X, a simulation of a national pandemic response. Specifically, the exercise simulated the outbreak of a novel strain of human parainfluenza virus with the genetic elements, it doesn't matter, they called it clade X. Now, this simulation ended with a news report stating that in the face of clade X, their virus, hypothetical virus, without effective vaccines, experts tell us that we could eventually see 30 to 40 million deaths in the U.S. and more than 900 million around the world, 12% of the global population. So preparation for this global pandemic was in order before COVID-19. Now, in October 2019, the WEF, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, collaborated with John Hopkins and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on another pandemic exercise. They called it Event 201, which simulated an international response to the outbreak of a novel coronavirus. Very specific, don't you think? October 2019, this took place. Two months before the COVID outbreak in China. 
two months before the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, declared it a pandemic. And it identically resembled a future COVID scenario, including asymptomatic spread. Now, these simulations anticipated almost every eventuality. These are his words. The speaker at Hillsdale College, Michael Rechtenwald. So they anticipated almost every eventuality of the actual COVID crisis, most notably the media, sorry, the responses by governments, health agencies, the media, tech companies, and elements of the public. The responses and their effects in these scenarios included worldwide lockdowns, the collapse of businesses and industries, the adoption of biometric surveillance technologies, and emphasis on social media censorship to combat misinformation, the flooding of social legacy media, mainstream media, which is not mainstream, it's radical left propaganda, with authoritative sources. So they prepared for this, they talked about it, they simulated it, and then it came to be. And so the Great Reset, by the way, it's promoted as a response to climate change as well. So they published a a paper back in 2017, the World Economic Forum, which was, we need to reset the global operating system to achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. They signed this memorandum in 2019, urging the UN for this, you know, 2030, the target year. You know, for getting rid of, uh, you know, being net neutral with carbon production, you know, pollution, as they call it, and everything else. And in June 2020, at its 50th annual meeting, the WEF, WEF announced the Great Reset's official launch. They published a book, Schwab did, called uh, About the Great Reset. The book declared that COVID represents an opportunity that can be seized, that we should take advantage of this unprecedented opportunity to reimagine our world that the moment must be seized to take advantage of the unique window of opportunity and that for those fortunate enough to find themselves in industries naturally resilient to the pandemic. So think here of big tech, Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon. The crisis was not only more bearable, but even a source of profitable opportunities at a time of distress for the majority. Now, this is what Obama, Kamala Harris, and other Democrats said verbatim. They talked about COVID being an opportunity to transform our economy. That's what this is about, this shift towards green new energy and everything else. And so the Great Reset, basically what it amounts to, it's, it's, it's what China has, right? This hybrid form of, of capitalism, but it's not capitalism. Now, the difference in China is they were socialist communists and they introduced aspects of capitalism into their economy. But the result's the same. In our case, in America, we have capitalism and they're introducing elements of socialism. So what they want to do ultimately is is pick winners and losers. You know, they they don't want capitalism. They want the government to directly intervene to to pick favorites. And basically, they, they introduce social credit systems. They reward companies and Americans who are going to go along with their agenda while they punish people who don't go along with it. And so it's Chinese, the Great Reset, here's how you define it. This is how he defines it. Capitalism with Chinese characteristics. It's a two-tiered economy. You got profitable monopolies, like we just talked about with the big tech companies and everything else. And the state is on top of those. And then you have socialism for everyone else. 
And that's why I'm looking at what's going on in China, in, in Russia, Ukraine. I'm saying this is very convenient for them. And for this guy Zelensky to be coming out and pushing a green new agenda now, it does not make does it not make you think? Well, this is interesting because how is the Russia-Ukraine crisis being used? Russia invades. By the way, it's not fathomable to me that they can't take Ukraine. They're in a holding pattern. At present, it's it's uh, it's a stalemate. And China's behind it. They support Russia. So what is the goal of this? What is Russia's goal in all this? Now, the media is telling us, well, Putin underestimated. Ukrainians are really fighting back. I don't believe that for a minute. Because what we're seeing is this crisis was a very convenient, just like the pandemic, way of arguing their case for green new energy. Zelensky's arguing for green new energy now. Biden is saying, blaming energy, the energy crisis in America on Russia-Ukraine. And but for this Russia-Ukraine conflict, he could not have blamed oil and gas. Now, he's lying, but they couldn't have blamed inflation, oil and gas prices, and all this on anything else. They would have to accept blame. So Russia-Ukraine is very convenient. And Zelensky coming out and demanding a shift towards green new energy is bizarre to me. It does not add up. There's more to the story. That's all I want to want to portray to you. Um, the sanctions on Russia, by the way, aren't working at all. I don't know if you've heard this update. The Russian ruble soared over 7% or 83 to the dollar on Tuesday. Their currency has actually strengthened amidst this conflict. Explain that to me. And so I don't know that taking Ukraine was ever the point of all this. I think there's just so many things that we do not know as Americans. That's why I say do not trust anybody. Think for yourselves. Examine these facts. Don't take anybody's word uh, as gospel. Now, the defense minister in Russia, Sergei Shoigu, he's claiming that liberating the Donbass region, that's the eastern portion of Ukraine, that's near Crimea, that area, which they already annexed, he's saying that was the main goal of the military operation. And the Pentagon spokesman, John Kirby, said Tuesday that the comment may be an effort to move the goalposts. Taking Ukraine wasn't the goal. There's something else going on here, and we just need to stay abreast of it. All right? But anyway, that's all i got time for here today. This is Drew Allen. It's been a longer broadcast, but we had a lot to get to. And, um, you know, if you're not already, go to DrewThomasAllen.com. Subscribe there at Substack for updates. Oh, big news, big news I was going to tell you about. I'm very excited to tell you about this. So I'll be back on TV on Saturday. I, I think the rough time is 1 p.m. Pacific Standard right now. But I'm going to be on with a Brit. Uh, it's Mark Dolan, the host of Tonight Live. And it's GB News, Great Britain News. And that's, by the way, if, if you don't haven't heard of that, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's Great Britain's version of, well, Fox News, but they're more principled than Fox News. More conservative, actually. And that's where Mark Stein, Mark Stein, I love the guy. He's a well, he's from Canada, but he's British. He used to fill in for Rush Limbaugh. He was a great friend of Rush Limbaugh's, and he he actually left his Fox News show and went to GB News. So I'll be there on Saturday with Mark Dolan representing America, California, and all of you. And it should be a great show. I'm looking forward to it. And I will keep you abreast of those details. Um, and that's why I say go ahead and subscribe at DrewThomasAllen.com. Go to my Substack. It'll take you there to Substack. Subscribe so I can keep you updated about that appearance. 
And if you haven't already, go on Apple. It means a lot in the world we're in because there's a lot of haters out there trying to diminish what I do and what others of us do. So it, it, it would be very helpful if you would go to Apple, if you listen there, and give this show a five star. You don't have to write anything. You can if you want. But just give it five stars to bolster it because I find more and more people are coming for me. And uh, one way they can abuse the system is to give me one star and try and sync my podcast. So this is Drew Allen. I've been on fire. You might have to play this half speed like you do with Ben Shapiro to hear a normal cadence, but I've just been excited to be with you. This is Drew Allen. God bless you all until next time.